Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Well, I think anything I say beyond that uh, seems almost out of place, but um, I'm here and this is my last chance, so I guess I I do want to say a few things. Uh, This is a time I I really have mixed emotions about. Um, I, uh, you know, I I read in the Bible once, you're not supposed to work seven days a week, and I've been doing that since about January. (laughs) And so I'm kind of glad this day has come that... uh, you know, I'm that middle relief pitcher, and I and I, I'm I've gone too far, I think. And uh, so anyway, I'm I, I uh, there's a part of me that's really looking forward, and I really am looking forward to seeing what God is going to do through Zane and Caroline. I told you last week about how I feel about that decision. Just so excited, and uh, I'm glad uh, that time has come. But it's also sad for Sandy and me to kind of finish this particular uh, stretch of the journey with you. Um, uh, you know, you've been good for us. Uh, you really have. You, you have blessed us, and, uh, and we're very thankful for that. We'll still be around some. Uh, you'll, you'll still see us uh, from time to time. Something happened that I didn't anticipate. We really like you. We really do. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I thought you were a bunch of ogres or anything, but uh, you really, you know, all that stuff I was saying at the beginning, you know, about how this is a great church. Well, I was just preaching. I didn't mean any of that, you know. <laughs> Uh, but I, well, I did, though. I, but I knew it from uh, observation, and now from experience, I know what a great church this is. And uh, and so we look forward to to seeing you again uh, from time to time, and are excited about that. Well, since this is my last Sunday, I guess we should probably uh, close Jeremiah. Uh, we've been talking about him for about uh, eight weeks or so. Unless you want to continue on with Jeremiah, Zane. If you no, really, I, you you can't do that. That was your first test as a preacher. You passed it. Good, good, good job. You know, they, they teach you in preaching classes, don't preach from the weeping prophet. Just don't do that. But, but we've done it. It hasn't been that bad, has it? I mean, we, we've gotten some good things from this weeping prophet about how to live life at its best. The most unlikely person to guide us in that in one sense. But we've gotten some good things from Jeremiah about living life at its best means that we're being faithful to God and whatever circumstances we find ourselves, even when it's challenging. We, we've uh, gotten from Jeremiah that obedience really puts us on the best path, and there's a lot of uh, wisdom and value in, in just being obedient to God. We've uh, seen from Jeremiah that our very best life has a sense of wonder uh, and awe at the majesty of God, and that's expressed in how we live our lives. We saw last week that because of this new covenant that uh, God kind of let, a, let Jeremiah in on, that we can just bask in the glory of being forgiven, that our, our sins are as far from God as east is from west. And so there are, there are a lot of things that Jeremiah has had. Sometimes we've had to learn from the negative examples of people who weren't doing very well, but I think there are a lot of things that we have gotten from Jeremiah that really will help us run with the horses. We're not going to just muddle along in mediocrity, but we're going to live life at its very best. Well, as we close out, I'm going to tell you a little bit about King Josiah. Uh, Josiah was the 16th king of Judah, and he reigned from about 540 B.C. to 
to 509 B.C. Uh, his great-grandfather was one of the greatest kings of all Judah, Hezekiah. His grandfather, though, was one of the worst kings, uh, Manasseh. And there are several times in, um, in Jeremiah where God says a lot of the things that are happening are happening because of the influence of Manasseh. And that was Josiah's grandfather. We saw at the very beginning that, uh, that Jeremiah was called to his prophetic ministry in the fifth year of uh, Josiah's reign, which means we knew, know that Jeremiah was a young man, but so was uh, uh, Josiah. In fact, he was a teenager. He was just eight years old when he began to reign. So he's about 13 when Jeremiah begins his ministry. But we're told that when Josiah was about 16, he began to, to look for God. He, he just, through the influences of others, he began to sense that there was more to God than maybe what he had seen from uh, the, his predecessors. And he began to search for the God of his, uh, the, the, seek the God of David is the way it's described. And when he was 20, based upon what he was learning from God and learning about God, he knew that all this idol worship wasn't a good thing. And so he began to purge Jerusalem and Judah of some of the places where idols were worshipped. But when he was 26, in the 18th year of his reign, something very, very significant happened to Josiah. He, as in his pursuit of God, he uh, realized that the temple really was not getting much attention. And that was the very heart of their, their uh, relationship with God, or at least their religion. And it had been neglected for a long time. And so Josiah commissioned some repairs to be done. And he called together some men and said, Here, you know, we, want, we don't want to do a bare job of taking care of the temple. And uh, so they hired workers. And the time came for them to pay those workers from the temple treasury. And while they were back looking for the money, something happened that was very important. In 2 Chronicles 34, we're told that while they were bringing out the money collected at the Lord's temple, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. Now, it has been about 800 years since God gave the law to Moses. And it mostly was transmitted and communicated to people orally, not very effectively, as we have seen from Jeremiah over the past, uh, past several weeks as we've looked at what he has had to say. And so they have they, they found a scroll, really. It's a scroll that contains the book of the law that had not been read in a long, long time. And so they gather that up and they read it and they see what it really is. And they then go meet with Josiah and they kind of report on what they're doing. Here's some things that were going on in the temple repair. And at the end, they say, uh, just one other thing. We have, we have found this scroll. And they give the scroll to Josiah, and he has it read. And here's what's happened. When the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. That's how upset he was. He, go to the temple, he said, and speak to the Lord for me and for all the remnant of Israel and Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger has been poured out on us because our ancestors have not obeyed the word of the Lord. We have not been doing everything this scroll says we must do. And so for the next 13 years, 
as a result of this event and Josiah's leadership, Judah would experience what we refer to as Josiah's reform. 13 years of, of just kind of driving out these, um, these false gods and, and the, the places where they were worshipped and, and kind of purging the, the nation of that. In fact, in 2 Kings 23, there's a good summation of what, what happened during Josiah's reform. Uh, King Josiah then issued this order to all the people. You must celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as required in this book of the covenant. They had not done that for, for a long, long time. I mean, centuries since they really celebrated the Passover. And that was at the heart of who they were as a people. And so there had not been a Passover celebration like that since the time when the judges ruled in Israel, nor throughout all the years of the kings of Israel and Judah. So it had been centuries since this Passover really was uh, given the honor that it was given as, as part of Josiah's reform. Goes on and says that uh, Josiah also got rid of the mediums and the psychics, the household gods, the idols, and every other kind of detestable practice, both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. He did this in obedience to the laws written in the scroll that Hilkiah the priest had found in the Lord's temple. So this finding this scroll was just match in a tender in, in uh, Josiah's heart. And if you are Jeremiah, uh, you breathe a sigh of relief. Because all of this prophecy that he has been, given, been giving about um, how God is calling the Babylonians down from the north and they're going to destroy the city, they're going to destroy the nation, and they're going to take people back into captivity. All that has been, it's, it's worked. His message has worked. And the people are changing. And so disaster has been averted. And you expect this big section in Jeremiah where he says that. You know what's really interesting is there is not one single time in the book of Jeremiah where there is a reference to Josiah's reform. All these things that, that we were seeing, there is not one reference. He refers to Josiah some, but not one single reference to what we call as, uh, Jeremiah's uh, uh, Josiah's reform. He's been preaching for five years, and now for 13 years, uh, the, the changes he had called for were, were taking place, and there's no, no record of it in Jeremiah. You would think somewhere in there he would have at least alluded to that and, and you know, applauded while it was going, but there is absolutely no record of that in the book of Jeremiah. And I think we have a clue as to why not. In Jeremiah chapter 3, uh, God shares something with Jeremiah. It was during the reign of King Josiah. The Lord said to me, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? Now remember, this is during the time uh, of the, what we call the divided kingdom. At the end of Solomon's reign, there was a civil war in Israel and the kingdom uh, that had been David's and Solomon's was divided into two kingdoms. In the north, there was uh, the group that kept the name Israel, but they had their own king, not in the line of David. They had their own priesthood that was not the Levitical priesthood. They worshipped in a place that wasn't Jerusalem. So they really were turning away from God when they formed their own nation. The southern kingdom, Judah, that's where Jeremiah was primarily working, they did have Jerusalem. 
And they did have this uh, uh, line of, of uh, a priest from Levi and line of kings from David. And so there, Jeremiah's in Judah. And so God says, hey, Jeremiah, look up north. Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. In other words, she's, she's building these places of worship of other gods. And every tree, every hill, there's an altar. There is a place where some god is being worshipped, which God kind of viewed as adultery. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me. But she did not. And her unfaithful sister, Judah, saw it. Now, did you notice how God is differentiating <clears throat> excuse me, between Israel and Judah? He, he called Israel faithless. She's, she's faithless. She's pretty much abandoned God whenever she made the decision to, to go the way that she has done. Israel is faithless, but how does he refer to Judah? Uh, I, I thought when she saw all this, she returned, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister, Judah, saw it. And that's a really important differentiation from uh, what's going on in Jeremiah. Israel is considered faithless. They don't have faith. Judah, at least they believe, but they're being unfaithful right now. And there's something significant that comes as a result of that. So in verse 8, God says, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. He's referring to something that happened over a hundred years ago when the Assyrians came and did in Israel what the Babylonians are going to do in Judah. I sent her away. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She went out and committed adultery in spite of seeing what happened to Israel. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. Those images that they were building out of stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. Now listen to this. Verse 11, The Lord said to me, Faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. Now, that's a bit of a surprise. And neither one of those are very good. But from God's vantage point, Israel, who was faithless, they didn't even believe in God anymore. They were more righteous than Judah, who believed in God, but they didn't act like they believed in God. It, it didn't really show in their life. Uh, faithless Israel, the nation that abandoned God, is more righteous in God's eyes than unfaithful Judah who was just kind of continuing on in some form. And I think the key was in the verse before this. Back up in verse 10, where God said, Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense. And I think that's why Josiah's reform is missing from the book of Jeremiah. It didn't move the needle. It, it really didn't. When it came to the people's relationship with God, that, that reform, all that, getting rid of the idols and all that, that was, that was a good thing, but it didn't really impact their relationship with God. Nothing really happened there. Uh, it was only outward. It was pretense, God said. It was pretend, in other words. They placed a lot of confidence in the externals. We heard 
in the, the temple sermon uh, you know, a few weeks ago, this slogan, you know, the, the temple of the Lord is here. The temple of the Lord is here. You know, we, we've got the temple and so we're okay. All the externals were kind of lining up during Josiah's day, but there wasn't change happening on the inside. And so I said a moment ago that it seemed like disaster was averted because of Josiah's reform. It wasn't. Just three decades later, the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to destroy Jerusalem and they're going to take people back into Babylon as, as captives. And so I think uh, maybe a modern parallel for us and in, in, in kind of seeing what's going on, what it means to be uh, unfaithful in the sense that Judah was. Maybe it means, you know, I belong to a church, a, a good church. And I go to that church most Sundays and I, and I do the right things, but inwardly, there's just such a distance between my heart and God's. I just, I really don't connect with God. I want to come and I want to do what I'm supposed to do, but on the inside, when it comes to my heart, there, there's just that, not that connection that God is looking for. The sad thing and the worrisome thing about that is God hates pretense. God hates it. I mean, look at the fact that He's calling people who don't even believe in Him uh, as being more righteous than those who believe in Him but do so with pretense. Kind of reminds me of, of what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3. He talked about, you know, some are hot and some are cold. He said, but you're, you're neither. You're just lukewarm. And that, from His perspective, was worse than being cold. It, it, it was worse to have some form of religion, but it not really be internal than to, than to just uh, reject God at all. And so that's why faithless Israel was more righteous than unfaithful Judah. God just doesn't like pretending. When it comes to our walk with Him, He just doesn't like pretending. He wants all of us, including our hearts. He wants all of us, especially our hearts. And you, you see this in, the, in, in kind of... Uh, the, the words that God tells Jeremiah to say to both Israel and Judah, first to Israel in chapter 4, a little bit later on, he says, if you, Israel, will return, then return to me, declares the Lord. Don't return to religion. Uh, don't, don't return to, to good works. Um, don't return to church membership. Don't return to the right doctrinal positions. God says, if you want to return, come to me. Let, let's, let's have a relationship between you and me. And he says something very similar to, to Judah. He says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Um, and maybe the modern equivalent for us would be, um, you know, baptize your hearts, not just your bodies. Because when that happens, then the Spirit of God is living in you. And, and you're set firmly in the, in the, uh, the, under the Lordship of, of Jesus. And so no more pretending or, or being something on the outside that's simply not true on the inside. There's an expression that we sometimes use, and I think it, maybe it's become trite even. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it doesn't carry the kind of impact that it should. But I, I think describes well what we can learn from Josiah's reform uh, and maybe what is missing from our lives at Times And that phrase is this, a personal relationship with God. Do you have a personal relationship with God? Um, 
Is there something going on within you that has impact beyond what is going on externally and simply doing the right things? Do you, do you know God? Do you have a personal relationship? He longs for that. He longs for that more than anything else. And that's what he's looking for. So I, I guess as we, as we close out this series, we ought to ask, how do you get that? Now, tell us how you, how you get that. Well, that's not a question that Jeremiah could answer. Um, he, I think he had that, and, and he, you know, he, he would probably point us, though, to you know, obeying the law and worshiping only God. And I think with Jeremiah, there was a, a lot to that, and he, there was some depth to that. He, he, he could point us to this new covenant that we talked about uh, last week where everybody who's in that covenant is going to know God. They're not going to have to be taught. They're already, already going to know God. But, but Jeremiah really didn't have the answer to how can you have a personal relationship with God. But we do. We do. As members of this new covenant, we know it's Jesus. We know that it is through Jesus that we have that relationship with God. I think one of the most um, powerful symbolic moments in all of the Bible was that occasion when right after Jesus died, that if, if you'd been that fly on the wall in the temple, you would have seen this curtain uh, just being torn in two from top to bottom. And you know what the significance of that curtain was, don't you? That separated the, the people uh, who would come into the temple and serve there from the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place that represented the people of God. And I love that it tore from top to bottom. It says, if the hand of God Himself reached down and just said, we're not doing this anymore. We're not doing this anymore. Because of Jesus, what separates us that sin that we talked about last week that is as far from God as the east is from the west, it is gone. And it is through Jesus that we can have this personal relationship with God. I, there are several folks in the New Testament who talk about this. The writer of Hebrews does a bit. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 3. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. We belong. We belong. God wants us there. So just like you know, our, our, our family members, we can, we can go from you know, right into the living room where someone is or right into the kitchen. We can do that with God. We can go boldly and confidently into the presence of God. And th this really is the encouragement I want to leave with this wonderful church. I told you in one of the lessons back when I first started about uh, uh, something that shaped my life and my ministry um, many years ago when I was able to, for the last time, see someone who had been a great influence in my life, a man by the name of Jim Woodruff. Some of you uh, would have known him. And uh, he had just he had modeled what it means to, you know, to, uh, to promote Jesus and have a relationship with him. And just, I learned so much from him and grew so much from him. And the last time I saw him, we had had breakfast. And as we were leaving, and I was getting ready to move to Texas the next day, he grabbed my shoulders with his hands and looked me in the eye. And he said, young man, you just preach Jesus and everything will be fine. You just preach Jesus 
and everything will be fine. And that's, that's what I want to say to you. Zane, that's what I want to say to you. Just preach Jesus and everything will be fine. I want to say that to you as a church. Just preach Jesus, promote Jesus, talk about Jesus. Let, let Jesus be at the center of this church as He has been for many, many years. And just keep going with that. Keep going. Keep, keep your focus on Him. Model Him as you live love. If you want to know how to live love, just keep focused on Jesus and He'll, he'll get you there. Always keep Him at the center of this church and everything will be fine. In fact, everything will be more than fine. It will be heaven on earth. Father, thank you so much uh, for Jeremiah, uh, this reluctant prophet who had such a tough way to go, but uh, who has so much to say to us. And Father, I, I thank you for this church and um, the way that you have worked with them in the past and just the anticipation that we have now. We've gotten through some tough times and still battling some tough times with what's going on in our world, but this church has been a bright light and I'm excited about what you're going to do in the days ahead. And I, I pray that it can be said of everyone here and really of this church collectively that what people will find is a personal relationship with you. They'll see Jesus. They will experience love as they come here uh, because of, of their relationship with you. Thank you, Father. And uh, we just lift all this up to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.